Welcome, happy Sabbath. It's good to have you with us again. And my hope is that you are beginning to recognize the reason and responsibility for the title of what we call Christian. Now, I know that we're probably supposed to, you know, start with this story and, and begin to talk, you know, kind of ease you into this, but we're on like week seven at this point. I think it's week seven or week eight, and it's time for us to engage in the reason and the responsibility of being a Christian. The reason, that's simple, right? Jesus. And I hope it's Jesus and it's simply Jesus for you because there is a beauty in a minimalistic understanding of who Jesus is. Now, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean a, a simplistic, but a minimalistic understanding of who Jesus is and what he means. I, I was reminded, as I was studying, I was reminded of a movie from a long time ago. And if you're older, you might remember it. If you're younger, you should go watch it. It was called City Slickers with Billy Crystal and Jack Palance. If you remember, Jack Palance was this kind of rugged old cowboy, and they're, they're taking a herd of cattle, I think, from, I don't know, where, from where. It's been a long time since I've seen it, too. But I went up, you know, because the blessing of YouTube is that you can go and look up just the scene. And they're having this conversation, and at one point, Jack Palance, with a cigarette in his mouth, goes, you know what life is about, don't you? That's my voice. That's all you get. And Billy Crystal goes, no, I don't. And he goes, one thing. And Billy Crystal goes, well, what's that one thing? Actually, Billy Crystal first said your finger, and then he goes, no, one thing. And he goes, what's that one thing? And he says, that's for you to figure out. But we as Christians, if we're taking that name, if we're taking that title, if we're taking that identity, we know what that is, right? It's Jesus. And I know I quoted last week a lot from Dietrich Bonhoeffer, but I'm going to do it just a couple more times, at least one more time, because he said it this way, Jesus is the only significance. Besides Jesus, nothing has any significance. He alone matters. A focus on Christ, a conforming to his will and example a deep and abiding love that overflows from this. This is what being a Christian is and is all about. Paul said it this way in 1 Corinthians 2, 2, for I decided that while I was with you, I'd forget everything except Jesus Christ, the one who was crucified. The choice to focus on Christ, you've got to understand it's a decision. In the midst of a world that has too many choices, I mean, this, it's like, right, it's like, Einstein or Steve Jobs or Tom Wolfe who, who wear the same clothes every single day. I guess Zuckerberg does too, but what he wears, nobody's interested. What they wore, they wore the same thing every single day so they wouldn't fall into what's called decision fatigue. And this decision fatigue helps explain why ordinarily sensible people get angry at colleagues and families, why they splurge on clothes. They buy junk food at the supermarket and can't resist the dealer's offer to rust-proof their new car. No matter how rational, how high-minded you try to be, you can't make decision after decision without paying a biological price. It's different from ordinary physiological or physical fatigue. You're not consciously aware of being tired, but you're low on mental energy. Why do I say that? I say it because of this. We in the church have a tendency to make lots of things be the thing. We 
We worry about style. We worry about, you know, theological, you know, trajectory. We worry, we worry about a lot of things. We worry about behavior a ton, right? We worry about so much that we have a tendency to find ourselves in decision fatigue. And so when it comes to following Christ, what do we do? We're tired. We can hardly get ourselves up to continue to do it. We don't become mission focused because we're so honestly decision focused on everything. So here's what I want you to do. I want you to let your faith be the one thing. And of course, that thing, that person, that God is Jesus. Because you've got to understand this. It is the object of your faith that propels you to worship. And that's what we're talking about today, actually, is worship. So if we ask the question, do we have to worship? The answer is yes. Now, let's ask it in the particular. I'm going to ask one question here. Do we have to sing? And I'm going to say this. I think the answer to this is yes as well. Because, of course, the Psalms admonishes us to sing, right? Sing to the Lord. Sing a new song to the Lord. Let the whole earth sing to the Lord, Psalm 96.1. This is a statement of belonging, by the way, a statement of inclusion, and a statement of the universality of the worship of God. Sing to the Lord, praise His name. Each day proclaim the good news. So it's something that we do over and over and over again. It's an ongoing proclamation. We sing His good news. We don't, you don't sing bad news. You sing happy birthday to somebody, right? Because you love them. You don't sing to the person getting fired. There's no, you got fired song, right? Maybe write it. Maybe that's what, but could you imagine that in a restaurant? Be like, hey, everybody, come around. All right, all right. We're not going to sing happy birthday. This guy just got fired. Let's sing it. You got fired. I don't know what the song would sound like. Probably not like that. But can you imagine? We don't sing bad news. We sing good news, right? And we sing it again and again and again. In fact, when you're in a restaurant, somebody starts singing happy birthday, it feels like it goes on forever. That's why my favorite one, I can't even remember the restaurant was this one. This is your birthday song. It won't be very long. And then they all just walk away. It's the best experience. But Psalms 96.3 continues and says, publish his glorious deeds among the nations. Tell everyone about the amazing things he does. The psalmist continues to admonish that we get out the news. Great is the Lord. He is most worthy of praise and he is to be feared above all other gods. Worthiness, by the way, is the content of our praise most of the time. And that is also why it's not embarrassing to sing. Why sing? Because he's worthy of it. And then the psalmist says this, and sometimes we struggle with this, right? The gods of other nations are mere idols, but the Lord made the heavens. This is the establishment as God as supreme over all other things, all over all other gods that might be out there. Honor and majesty surround him, strength and beauty fill his sanctuary. There's so much to think about because anything that comes in contact with God becomes majestic in a way that it hadn't necessarily been before. You have become majestic in a way that you weren't before. And Psalms 96, 7, O nations of the world, recognize the Lord. Recognize that the Lord is glorious and strong. This is the ubiquity of praising God, right? His name over all names to all the world. Give to the Lord the glory he deserves. Bring your offering and come into his courts. This is a call to be in the presence of God. Your offerings, your songs, your presence is warranted and wanted. 
In Psalms 96, 9. Worship the Lord in his holy splendor. Let all the earth tremble before him. But we, we worship God for who he is, not for who we are, not for what we have said about him or what we have done, even if we've done it in his name. The glorious works that we praise are not the works that we do. They're the works that God does, right? When he's the object of your faith, when you're focused on, all of a sudden you are propelled into worship with a momentum that's phenomenal. So I'm going to ask you this question right now. What has worship meant to you? Because we've had like 57 weeks to experience worship in this digital format. And for some of us, hopefully it's only a few more weeks. Have you missed worship? But I'm going to ask a deeper question. Do you need worship? I think it's an interesting question. Because if you're like me, the response of worship is visceral. Right? And I'm not even talking about style. Different, different strokes for different folks, right? Whatever. I don't care what you like and what you don't like. But for me, the body of Christ singing is just an incredibly powerful experience. And God has placed in us a desire to worship somewhere deep inside of us. We are looking for somewhere to put our affection, to put our hope, and to put our focus and energy. And when we lack an object of worship, our energy often drifts to the superfluous, right? We find things to love. We find things to adore. We find things to become fans of, things to identify with, because there is that need in us. And by the way, that's one of the reasons why we're doing this whole series, because we struggle with needing to identify with something. And if you're going to call yourself a Christian, it's got to be Christ. You know, but when we think of our worship, what does it entail? You know, I, one of the reasons I love Crosswalk is because over the last six years, we've worked really hard to create a culture of worship. But I think we need to take a moment and think about it again. Because we're about to come back in many of our areas. And as we come back, I got to ask you, what do you want worship to be for you? How are you going to lean into what worship really is? What does it entail when we think of our worship of Jesus? There's a few things. I won't spend too terribly long. Because I know this, I know as, as Seventh-day Adventists, and we can, we can recognize this, we come from, let's think about God, but we don't feel God so much. Let's come to church and let's enjoy the worship service, but it has a tendency to be consumption, not participation. So that's the first thing we need to talk about, right? Participation versus consumption. We all want to participate. And we all want to have a transformative worship experience, but that means you have to get in it and not just consume it. And too often, we're so much about consumption that we just go to the place that seems to have the best equipment or the best music or the best whatever. And, and listen, there's nothing wrong with that. We, we try and do a really good job. And I think, you know, our worship teams are second to none. But it's easy to sit in a room and consume it. And man, we've had 57 weeks to do that. And I know it's hard to participate when you're sitting on your couch. I get that. But we're coming back. 
So you got to think about it and you got to decide how are you going to, how are you going to engage? Because when it's consumptive, we make it about us. When it's participative, participatory, we make it about God. I mean, think about it. Tug of war is a stupid thing. Have you ever watched people doing a tug of war? It's so dumb. And it's easy to stand back and fold your hands and be like, this is ridiculous. Why would anybody do this? But when you are holding onto that rope and you are pulling, all of a sudden it feels like your life depends on it. Participation is very different than consumption. So you got to ask yourself as we're coming back, is worship about you or is worship about God? Because like I said, consumption is about you. Participation is about more than yourself. You may benefit, but that's not the point. Honoring God is the point. How are you participating in honoring God? There's a second point that we should probably make here, and that there's a difference between partnering and passivity, because worship is an act of partnering with the angels and praising God. It's, it's an act of getting the whole body of Christ engaged and the blood flowing through the body of Christ, and we can't do that passively. When He bids us come and follow, we cannot do that passively. He bids us come and die with and for him. We don't get to say, no, 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 no. I'm in, but I'm just going to watch. And I got to tell you, some of you, some of you like to watch. Sometimes I like watch. But when we allow ourselves to watch worship, we actually deny the Holy Spirit's partnership in our experience. What we do is we say, I'm good. I don't need you. I can engage in watching this myself and I'm just fine. And I know for some of us, culturally, you grew up not engaging, not participating in worship. In fact, wondering if it's okay. And I know that people come here and they go, man, I don't know that it's okay what you guys do. I get that and that's fine if that's not for you. But, but, but I think it's okay. And I think that we have to kind of break the chains of culture that we have allowed between us and God. Those, those things that we grew up with being so fearful of, so fearful of emotion and so fearful of, of, of being demonstrative in worship, so fearful of actually feeling a song so much that tears come to your eyes. We get fearful of that because we've told, you know, oh, that's how Satan's going to work and he's going to mess with you. Listen, be balanced, and we seek to be balanced here. Don't, don't fall off a deep end, but don't fall off a deep end of anything. Some of you are allowing your worship, your cultural history to not allow you to engage and partner with the Holy Spirit, and you are leaving the Holy Spirit out of your worship experience. And I never want to leave God out. Now, that means you've got to open up in a different way. There's a third thing here, right? Worship just versus work. And perhaps this is too strong, right? Because those two things are not opposed to each other. Because at times, worship is work. In fact, the work of worship is a blessing to you, to God, and to the community. But it does involve work. So how do you prepare for this work? Do you pray before you come to church? Anxious and expectant of what God will do? How do you engage in preparation? How do you warm up for worship? And I know that may sound a little weird but it's not. Do you focus on Christ before you come to worship? 
or you stop in unprepared and then wonder why you don't feel it or it doesn't touch you in the way it's supposed to. So is worship just about feeling it? No and yes. But there are things we do to prepare for worship. And style is not the point. We have one. But worship is more than style. Worship is participatory. The work of worship is preparation. It's being expectant of what God will do in the moment. I guess the question becomes, are you willing to allow worship to be transformative in your life? If it hasn't been, why not? And how do you get to the point where it is? How do we allow our hearts to be broken so that our worship can heal? Because the facts are, a lot of us come into church with broken hearts, but we are hesitant to let the work of worship heal our hearts. Listen, worship will always have an emotional content and an emotional context. These are not bad things. In worship, it is more than our head that is to be discipled. It is our heart. So are you willing to allow for the discipleship of your heart, for the discipleship of your emotions? Also, for, for the learning that can take place, singing a great song, theologically even. And I know it can get weird, right? We might, do, we might do a chorus one too many times and, and because you're not comfortable with it, you're like, hmm, this seems a little repetitive. Yeah, in, in Revelation, it tells us that we're gonna be singing, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty forever. That's repetitive. The point is this. Praising the name of God is never gonna be repetitive if it's true. I never get tired of telling my kids I love them. And while at times they may be embarrassed to hear it, I know they love it too. And so when we sing, when we engage, when we come to worship, first and foremost, our focus has to be on Christ. Secondly, we have to prepare and be ready to move into that space. Thirdly, we have to participate and engage in ways that we haven't before. And, and lots of things can get in the way, right? Lots of things can get in the way. This is one of the reasons we say, you know, come to church however you feel. Dress however you want. It's fine. We don't want a suit to get in the way of your worship experience. Or we don't want to not wear a suit to get in the way of a worship experience. We don't want the coffee that you hold to get in the way of a worship experience. At the same time, we want to make sure that you're comfortable and you have it as well, if that's the thing. What we want is for you to engage in ways that maybe you haven't before. And you gotta think about this because we're coming back in just a few weeks here in Redlands. And if we're coming back here in Redlands and you're gonna show up, are you gonna show up just to consume? Because if you are, I gotta tell you, we're only gonna put 50% of the people in the room. And if all you're doing is come to consume, stay home. You can do that at home. It's probably better in some respects. You don't have to wear a mask. You don't have to register. You can just stay home. But if you want to come and engage, if you want to come and worship, if you want to come and be with the body of Christ that, that feels the rush of the Holy Spirit, that feels the movement of God in this place, well then come and prepare and be ready. Be at the, on the tip of your toes as the music begins to sing because we are commanded to sing of the worthiness of God and that's what we will do. And whatever it is that you had before, 
man, you've had, you've had 57 something weeks to let it go. It's time to start new in your experience with worship. It's time to lean in in a different way because Christians are worshipers, not just in church, but in church. And when we come together, there's a power in hearing the body sing. And if you listen really carefully in the midst of that singing, sometimes you can hear the angels sing as well. And it's interesting, I say that and I, and I, think, of, I think of my atheist friends who go, no, 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 no. They're easy to dismiss it. But have you been in it? Have you experienced passionate, unashamed worship, knowing that God is worthy, leaning into what the Spirit has for us? Because if you have, you don't ever want to go back. And it doesn't matter what somebody says, oh, that's not this, it should be. It doesn't matter. Because you know how God speaks to you in the midst of you praising Him. So we have to worship. And I'm excited that we get to come back and do it together again. But until that moment, I want you to prepare your hearts to walk in this room and to experience the presence of God and the praise that you give Him. Let's bow our heads. All right, Lord, we're gonna ask that you prepare our hearts for the next few weeks, that you do a work inside of us that you make us hungry for the experience of worship of you. Lord, you've commanded this. You've asked for this. And so it is with a whole heart that we want to give it to you. So Lord, if there is any hesitance, take it away. If there is any fear or embarrassment, Lord, take it away. Lord, if someone's not ready Keep it home for a little bit longer. Prepare their hearts. But when they're ready, Lord, may they come rushing in the front door and may we worship together with reckless abandon. Can't wait to be together again. Pray these things in your name, in the name of Jesus. Amen.